Greg, did you have a double shot of espresso this morning? You are energized, and I love it. That's awesome. Happy New Year, everybody. We made it. 2017 is here. We've gotten through another Christmas, and we get to start a brand new year together. It's exciting to be able to watch and wait and pray and hope that as we come to worship God this morning, we trust and we know that he is going to come again to make all things new. And as we make room for him in our hearts in this day, even in the midst of life's difficult circumstances, we know that we get in on the the ground floor of him making all things new in our own hearts, in our own lives, even today as we enter into this new year season. As we enter this new year, the, the busyness of our lives will continue, of course, right? In fact, many of us are probably anticipating getting back into the swing of things and back to work and back to school and all of the things that are on our to-do list and all of the things that are on our New Year's resolution list that we want to add in and change and do differently. We need to be reminded that making room continues to be an important part of our lives, not only in the holiday season, but in every season of our life. We need to be reminded, as we learn from the Bible through this series, that we don't learn to see God in our lives by looking at the external circumstances that are going on around us. We've been learning through this series how the birth of Jesus displays for us God's divine values are are so different from our values, and that we need to learn to see the world from God's perspective and see our lives from God's perspective so that we can understand that, that the agent of God's grace and peace the Savior of the world, the King of glory who came to be the greatest gift to us at Christmas, came in total simplicity and humility as he was born in a stable and laid in a manger. Making room is all about rediscovering this divine simplicity in our own lives as well, in ways that allow us to see God in new and perhaps unexpected ways, places that we weren't looking for him. Maybe God will show up as we can see Jesus face to face in the lives of the people around us, in the midst of the circumstances of our lives, no matter how difficult or challenging they are. The miracle of Christmas, we've said, is the discovery of the unexpected reality that no matter where we find ourselves, God is with us because Jesus is Emmanuel. When we make room in our lives for God, we make room for the miracle that is God with us. In every circumstances, and we experience the transformation of our lives that begin within our hearts and our souls and works itself out into all of the other aspects of our lives. If you want to make room for God in this new year, we've been talking about how you need to make room for relationship. First with God as, as your father, as, as your creator, and then in all of those key relationships in our lives that God has given us to be a blessing to, to one another. We need to make room in our lives for rest, for Sabbath. God worked for six days creating the world, and on the seventh day, he rested, and he made it holy. And we, too, need to find that rhythm of work and rest and Sabbath, time to to get away from life and to, to spend time in the presence of God so that we can be refilled and renewed and re energized through the presence of his spirit in our lives. And as Kara shared with us, we need to make room in our lives for generosity. In our materialistic, capitalistic world, we have to learn to hold stuff loosely, to to let things go easily, to, to see the resources that God has given us as blessings to give away, to make a difference in other people's lives. Because as we hold our stuff loosely, we make room in our spirits for the spirit of God to come and be the priority, the one who brings the true 
deeper satisfaction for our souls. Today, if we want to make room for God, I'd like to also suggest that we need to learn to make room for God's mission in our lives. Not only do we discover with the miracle of Christmas that God is with us and he's for us, but if you were here on Christmas Eve, we talked about that. It also, we recognize God's desire that we be with him and for him. That as, as his life becomes our life, our life becomes given over to his purposes and priorities and plans in the world. And in the process, as Greg said, our obedience doesn't lead to restriction. It leads to the freedom of discovering the deeper meaning and purpose for why God created us in the first place. We get to be agents of peace and love and grace and forgiveness in the darkness and the brokenness of a hurting world. What we discover is that if we, as we make room for God in our lives, we, we make room for the transformation of our hearts that turn towards openness to God, which leads us to openness to the needs of others in the world around us. As we experience the miracle of the Spirit of Christ born within us, we find that our hearts are being reborn and remade with a new life and a new purpose, with a growing desire to share this gift that we have been given to others who are also in desperate need to hear good news in their lives. See, the miracle of Christmas isn't just who was born on that night, but why he was born and why he came. When we make room for God in our lives, we make room for Jesus, and we make room for his desires to become our desires, for his heart to become our heart, for his mission to become our mission. I'd like to suggest that, that this mission of God is illustrated for us in, in a, a couple interesting ways in one of the stories of Jesus' life and ministry. We're going to be looking in Luke 19 and the story of Zacchaeus and the tax, the tax collector. In chapter 19 and verse 1, it says that Jesus had entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short, but because he was short and could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, making room in our lives for Jesus is about understanding why Jesus came to earth as that baby on Christmas to begin with. Jesus' mission, he says here, is to seek and to save that which has been lost. Our calling, therefore, in Christ as his disciples, as his followers, if we have accepted the gift of Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior, is to participate in this mission of love to the world. See, the story of Zacchaeus is all about making room. There's two aspects of mission that I'd like to highlight for us today. And first of all, we see Jesus' acceptance of Nicodemus as Jesus being willing to make room for him in his life. 
We need to be prepared to see people whose hearts are ripe for God. And then the second thing I'd like to look at today is how we see Jesus or Zacchaeus' acceptance of Jesus is, is he's making room in his heart for a whole new set of priorities, a whole new set of life circumstances that he will see lived out in generosity towards those in need and in responsibility towards those with whom he's in community. Now, Zacchaeus, by all accounts, was a successful businessman. We can assume he had worked hard to move up the success ladder, entering, uh, ultimately achieving the title of chief. He was the chief executive officer of his own tax-collecting business. And if you know about tax collecting in that day, collections was, was farmed out to tax collectors in this kind of pyramid scheme. And, and if you were the chief tax collector, you got a, a little bit of a commission from all, all the collections that everybody did under your business. So he had been working hard for perhaps a long time to build this business so that he became the CEO of his own company. However, there was great disdain for tax collectors as they were viewed as helping the occupying Roman Empire to keep down and oppress the Israelites. He's wealthy, of course, but but many consider his wealth ill-gotten gain. Now, working as a tax collector could be lucrative in that day, but it certainly wasn't easy. Everyone in the town hated you, and you lived under the constant stress that working for the Romans, which had a reputation of executing the hired help. Now, we don't know from the story what Zacchaeus' need was, but we know that he was drawn to Jesus. He had to see this teacher. He had to go and find out about who this man was that everybody was talking about. Some people struggle in life with a sense of being isolated and lonely and overlooked, even in the midst of the crowd. They feel invisible, wondering if anybody knows or cares that they exist. And we know that as human beings, we are created by God to be spiritual beings, and no amount of worldly success or possessions can satisfy the deepest longing of our soul to know God as our creator and to be in loving relationship with those around us. Sure, Zacchaeus was financially successful, but the Bible says that that would even actually make it harder for him to see God at work and to understand his need for Jesus, right? And yet, in the midst of all these seeming obstacles, Zacchaeus could not ignore the longing in his soul that drove him to find himself in the presence of Christ. Zacchaeus longs to see this famous teacher, but apparently his short stature and the crowds around prevented him from being able to see, so he he finds a tree, a sycamore fig tree, it's a short stocky tree with, with broad leaves or broad branches, and he climbs up in the tree and ran ahead to get to the right spot so he could have the right view, and of course, he's just going to check Jesus out, right? Jesus is just going to pass by and he's going to get a glimpse of the teacher. Zacchaeus wasn't interested in meeting Jesus, or intending to meet Jesus. He just wanted to check him out. But to his surprise, he discovers that Jesus was checking him out too. Jesus breaks the ice by noticing him in the tree. He looks up and he sees him up there. And he stops and calls him by name and tells him to come down and says he must have dinner at his house today. See, Jesus' stay with the tax collector, scholars suggest, is necessary because this story pictures to us what his ministry was all about, to lead to God those whom others had given up on. 
those who needed to repent of situations in their life, the mistakes that maybe they have made, the, the sins that they've committed, the, those who, who need to be reclaimed as prodigals and to justify those who are humble and ready to see God work something new in their lives. While other people around just saw a tax collector, Jesus saw the man behind the title and sought to build a relationship with him by going to his house and breaking bread with him. The text says that Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus gladly. One who has simply sought to get a glimpse of Jesus now is having dinner with Jesus face to face. The reaction of Jesus' choice to host, uh, to, for, for a host for his meal doesn't meet with popular approval though, right? All the people around start muttering, it says. And it's the word that the text uses for mutter is the same word that the Old Testament used for the Israelites who grumbled in the desert when God, God rescued them and, and led them out into the wilderness. They, they complained. They, they said, what is Jesus doing? He, we want Jesus to give his time and attention to us. And here he's going to spend time in the house of a, a sinner, a, and much less a tax collector, one of the, the very enemies, one of the worst of the worst. But Jesus made eye contact with Zacchaeus. He spoke to him face to face. He communicated to Zacchaeus that he was glad to see him, glad to be in his presence. And we, we don't know what the conversation that they had is, but it must have been rich, deep, and rewarding. See, this was an interruption in the Messiah's busy schedule. This wasn't a, a, a detour from Jesus' plan. I mean, the text said that he was just passing through, and yet here, Jesus sees a teachable moment. He sees a kingdom moment to fulfill the very mission God had given him in the life of one man that everybody else had written off, that nobody else would even think was somebody that Jesus would spend time with. The crowd had written him off, but Jesus doesn't write off those who remain open to God in their hearts and in their lives. See, I, I think one of the things that we can learn from this text is that our mission as Jesus followers is to be present and open to those who recognize that they are in need of something more in their life. Not those who are so self-secure that they don't need anyone or anything. The reality is that often it's some life crisis or tragedy or difficulty that we go through that, that wakes us up to the recognition that the things that we put our trust in, the things that we had hoped were going to bring us meaning and satisfaction fall far short from what our true deeper needs and longings are. But you see here, Zacchaeus is an example for us of somebody that we would look at as being successful by the world's standards. Somebody that we wouldn't reach out to or we wouldn't share our testimony with or we wouldn't think would respond to God's call or an invitation to accept Jesus into his life because he's a sinner, he's a, he's a tax collector, he's a successful businessman, and he has no interest in Jesus. But you see, Jesus looks beyond the surface values and understands that there's something going on in Zacchaeus' life. There's something going on in his heart that has prepared him for this moment to see Jesus, to accept Jesus, and to become a follower of Jesus. God invites us to have his eyes to not look at the external circumstances of people's lives, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're in or out, whether it's us or them, whether they're Republican or Democrat, but to see the deeper need, the longing, and the brokenness in people's lives because it's in those broken places that we find that God ripens our hearts and prepares us 
to become a part of the harvest, to receive the good news that there is help, that there is healing, and that there is wholeness in the name of Jesus. That was Jesus' whole perspective in John 4, verse 35, when he talked about this farming, right? Don't you have a saying, he said, it's still four months until the harvest. But I tell you, open your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Verse 36, he says, even now the one who reaps draws a wage and and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Stop saying that you'll do it sometime in the future. Stop saying that, yes, someday Jesus is going to come back and save us all. Jesus is saying the time is now. He has arrived. Emmanuel, God is with us. The time to share the good news, to reach out and be a blessing to those around you, to meet the deepest needs and longings of of those in our community and those in our own families, those around the world in mission is now. We have to trust the Holy Spirit to lead us to those people whose hearts are ripe to to hear the good news. All around us today are people who are ripe to the gospel, who are prepared to see and to welcome those whose hearts God has prepared. The challenge for us, I'd like to suggest in church in the 21st century, is those people aren't going to come to church on Sunday morning. They're they're home watching the football games. They're they're out at the bars in the evenings. They're looking for some way to find happiness and wholeness. And and, and they don't think that they're going to find it here. So we need to be prepared as we're walking through Jericho to see those people who are up a tree in life and be able to say, you know what? I'm going to come over to your house for dinner. Or why don't you come to my house for dinner? Or maybe let's just go have coffee. Let's talk. How are you doing? What's going on in your life? Have you, have you heard the real good news about who this Jesus is? You see, our mission is, is not to go evangelize the world by twisting people's arms and convincing them to believe the truth of Scripture. In fact, there's no way you can do that. The Bible says only the Spirit of God can transform a human heart. Our job is not to convince people. Our job is to be present to share the good news of our own testimony when the need arises. You see, and that leads us to the the second aspect of what we learn in this story is that Zacchaeus' response to the acceptance of Jesus is expressed in his desire to be a different man. Because of his new relationship with God, all things have become new to him. He, he, he commits to half of his possessions will now go to the poor. And those he has wronged will receive restitution at four times the amount. The scholars suggest that these, these rates of restitution are, are, are way beyond what the Bible requires. Even in that day, the expectation for, for uh, giving was 20% of one's income should go to, to the poor. And he's giving 50%. And, and if you'd wrong somebody four times the amount you wronged them was far surpassing anything the Old Testament law required. You see, what scholars suggest is that this, this kind of generosity, this kind of response from Zacchaeus isn't a response to wanting to fulfill the law of God or some religious rule to make himself worthy. It was an overflowing of the gratitude of his own heart because he had been forgiven for so much. The gift that he had received of freedom in Christ This was the least that he could do to want to show that he wanted to be a part of this mission that God had given to Jesus. We see in Zacchaeus' changed heart that love for God expresses itself in love for others. 
First of all, in generosity to those in need, but then also in responsibility towards those with whom we're in community. See, Jesus fully endorses this response, noting that this very day, salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. Salvation has come, recognized in the response that Zacchaeus has had to his receiving of this incredible gift. Here is a man who is sought and saved by the Son of Man. He once was lost, but now he's found. See, when we make room in our heart for God, we make room for the mission of God to be fulfilled in our lives first. That's the thing we can't miss. We can't skip over that the, the salvation that comes to Zacchaeus starts with his own salvation. And it's out of that generosity of God towards Zacchaeus that his heart overflows in mission and love to those around him. We recognize that as a part of Zacchaeus doesn't go out and become a priest. He doesn't go change careers. He, he was a tax collector. He continues to be a tax collector. But his job was the same, but his life destiny was different. He now used his job as an opportunity to, to give glory to God and become a blessing to those around him. His very job that was despised and rejected by his own community became the means by which God used to use him to be a blessing to others. See, the, the mission of Jesus is to seek and save that which is lost. And it's being fulfilled in front of people's own eyes in the life of this man named Zacchaeus. That mission is our mission as well. We need to be like Jesus, but also we have to remember first and foremost that we are like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus pictures an honesty and a vulnerability about his own brokenness and his own sin in the story that, it, that reveals the inherent beauty of the gospel and being able to deal with our sin and our failure at a deep, honest level. We're reminded that our own sin and brokenness is something we need to continue to come before God in honesty with. We have to come before him saying that we are not perfect. We, are, we, we don't have it all together. The moment we forget our continual need for renewal, we slip into the self of being spiritually independent, that somehow we've got it all together on our own. But independence isn't the essence of the Christian faith. Humility, independence are. And that's what we learn from the baby Jesus who is born in such humble and simple circumstance. That's what making room is all about. We recognize that we have to make room for God in our lives because we are dependent on his ongoing reconstruction project in our own lives to be able to live out this mission that he's given us to fulfill. One scholar said, a church of perfect people who cannot confess their own sin and shortcomings does not give evidence of the gospel's transforming power. Nothing is more devastating for the Christian walk, he said, than forgiven sinners who think they can live like saints on automatic pilot. That's a tough challenge. Have you been living your Christian life on automatic pilot? Have you been going through the motions but not making room for God in your life? Have you not been aware of the mission of God that he wants you to participate in? Have you not been aware of the Zacchaeuses that maybe are up trees on your path through Jericho? In Christ, we are a new creation, but in him also we are under a continual renewal project. That's why making room for God in our lives is so important. As we anticipate a new year, what tree 
are you willing to climb? To make room in your life to be able to get a new glimpse of Jesus in your life in this new year. What does that tree look like? In our our next series that we're going to be calling Living Well, we're going to spend five weeks looking at five key areas of our lives. Maybe one of those key areas of your life is the tree that you'll climb in this new year to make room for God in a new way, to make room for the mission of Jesus in your life. We're going to be looking at career well-being. What does it look like to have well-being and and satisfaction in the the vocation that God has given us? We're going to be looking at physical well-being. Yes, we, we, we make a lot of diet, New Year's exercise resolutions, but what does it look like to have true well-being physically? Because God has created us as physical beings. We're going to look at financial well-being and community well-being. How do we invest in the community where God has planted us and and also social well-being? How do we invest in and become wise stewards of all of these key areas of our lives, even those key relationships that God has given us? See, in, in our next series, we're going to be looking at how do we, like Zacchaeus, change our perspective and see all of these areas of our lives as as resources, as gifts that God has blessed us with that he wants us to turn around and give away to those who are in need of of a good news message of hope, to, to be a blessing to those around us and to become more and more responsible for managing the gifts that God has given us. When we make room for mission in our lives like Zacchaeus, we make room for generosity for those in need. We have eyes to see those whose hearts have been prepared by God to receive the good news message, not because of our own articulation or because of our own ability to convince them, but because God has brought us together in the right place at the right time to share the good news message for those that God is calling to return to him through his son Jesus. If you want to make room for God in your life, make room for God's mission in your life. And I guarantee you, you will see and experience the presence and the power of God moving in your life in a way that maybe you haven't even thought was possible before. Would you pray with me?